Into every generation, there is a chosen one. Uh, excuse me, two. One girl in all the world. Two, two girls? Who is this guy? She alone will wield the strength and skill. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's walk this back. To stand against the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness. Wait, I thought we were just going to talk. To stop the spread of their evil and the swell of their numbers. Is all podcasting this intense? She is... This might have been a... Big Miss Steak. Steak. S-T-A-K-E. Like what you kill a vampire with. A Buffy podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Big Mistake. It's a Buffy podcast, and this is our first episode of season two, where the real fun begins. I'm Melissa. Hey, y'all. I'm Aditi. And today we are here to talk about season two, episode one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when she was bad. Yeah, we're here. I'm so excited. I think that if this is the tone and energy they're going for with season two, I get why people say it's such a good show. Because to be honest, season one, I was like, okay, it's fun. Don't know if I would have stuck through it if I didn't have external motivation. But I really like this episode. Yeah, this episode, I feel like is a huge turning point in the show for me. and, And I'm glad that you feel the same way. Because I normally just skip over season one. So this really feels like the beginning of the show to me. And I'm glad we've finally gotten here. I think definitely like off the bat, it's a much tighter episode. I feel like all the jokes hit. I feel like all of the characters are much more comfortable with their roles. And I get it. You need to have, you know, you need to have a couple episodes to set up parameters around a character and around their motivations. But I think that a lot of times in season one, they leaned heavy on tropes like Xander's just a boy and Cordelia is hot but mean and Willow's a nerd. But this one had depth and it had layers. And I think that the interaction between the characters was really cool. So I am pleasantly surprised. Yes, I actually noted that too. I think that in any other show, particularly a teen show, the whole ordeal with the master would have been tied up with a bow at the end of season one, and it would have just been like a clean slate this episode. Cordelia still just as mean, Buffy still just as kick-ass, everybody just as horny and nerdy as they ever were, <laughs> but but like in a static way. And so I think bringing that trauma through to this episode really added a nice layer, which made it a lot more compelling. And the series is definitely a lot more nuanced from here on out. Okay, let's do the episode summary really fast. When Buffy returns home to Sunnydale after spending the summer away, Xander and Willow become concerned with her disturbingly cold and distant behavior. Meanwhile, Cordelia and Sunnydale High teacher Miss Callender are kidnapped, and Buffy is convinced that the fight to protect them and the world from the undead is hers alone. Still reluctant to risk getting close to Angel, Buffy turns him away before either one can express his or her true feelings. I assume that part was particularly difficult for you. Yeah, he looked really good. You know, he just has really nailed waiter chic with his white (laughs) shirt and his (laughs) black jacket. (laughs) Yeah, whenever he shows up, I'm like, like, are you waiting to park someone's car? (laughs) We'll get into it. Irish formality, you know? Love it. (laughs) And speaking of Angel, he is now officially in the opening credits. 
which is a good sign for your boob. I clocked it. I'm ready to see where this season takes us. Should we do season predictions? Oh, yeah. Let's do season predictions. What do you think? <gasps> okay. I think that they will still develop the Cordelia being a semi-member of the Scooby gang. Like, sometimes she'll be involved, sometimes she won't. I think that she'll still, like, be the queen bee of the school, but I think they'll develop that storyline. I'm really excited to see what they do with Willow. I think that in this episode already, like, she has, she comes into her own a lot more. I'm really curious to see what they do with Xander, because this episode was interesting to see the, like, tension between, um tension yes but also like the very charming familiarity that xander and willow had it was very sweet to see and it also felt very equal like i think in season one you know he really dominates her with like what he wants from the situations and i think that it was like very sweet to see the give and take but i'm so curious to see what they do with that but what's your prediction my prediction i don't know i feel like my prediction is 50 percent he disastrously tries to date willow or 50 percent disastrously tries to date cordelia Unless we get new characters. So I think that would be fun. Buffy and Angel got a, got a date. <laughs> I mean, come on. He's in the credits. We all know why we're here. Let's, let's not dance around this. All right. We all know why. I want to see what tattoos he has on other parts. <laughs> I want to see some calf tattoos. I want to see some lower back tattoos. I want to see some... <laughs> arm tattoos. I just want to see it all. So predictions, what is Angel's lower back tattoo? Oh goodness. When did he come of age? Like, how old is he supposed to be? He's supposed to be like a hundred and over 150. He, he came of age in like the, the early 1800s. I think that his back tattoo is either a Gaelic knot that's secretly a map of Dublin <laughs> or it's a Dylan Thomas quote. your lower back so you can't read it it's just this misguided vision that angel has i'm imagining him trying to see it but it's it's backwards and he just gets lost and now to add insult upon insult he is a vampire and he can't even use a mirror to see it yeah he has a real tragic life exactly no wonder he's always brooding no wonder he had to leave ireland he could no longer navigate yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm feeling like that, that really is what his tattoo would say. What do you think it would be? Oh, oh gosh. Okay. We're assuming that he got it before he was a vampire. Let's, let's just say for fun, it was before. Okay. All right. I would say he probably got a tattoo of like a sick ass boat, but like one of those boats that has a voluptuous naked lady on the front, mm. because I think that would be like the proto Fast and Furious poster. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where it's like a super fast vehicle, mm. but he's like working with what he has. I mean... All I can say definitively is that anything else he puts on his body pales in comparison to the, shall we say, lack of vision that is on his upper back. He's made some mistakes. <laughs> yeah, so I think that they're they're gonna have to date in this season. Like you can't, you got, you, you, you can't, you can't string us along this far. A horny nation cries. <laughs> I realize that this analysis has been very relationship heavy. I think also for the storyline, uh, I would love a new baddie. You know, maybe we get some some new flavor. Yeah, I mean, there's a void in the master's absence. Buffy has ground his bones into talcum powder. So 
Do you have any? Do you have any thoughts about what might replace the master? Uh, you know what would be fun? Maybe we'd get like a lady master. Maybe we'd get a girl boss. A mistress. A mistress. A lady master. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I would like to see the conclusion of Colin. <laughs> How did you feel when he was back, back, back again this episode? <laughs> he never goes. I loved it. <laughs> Mostly because seeing a small child <laughs> in a mock turtleneck direct other people to do things. So Steve Jobs. He was like, look, I am the creative and you hourly peons must deliver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that turtleneck, let's just get right into Slay or Nay. Let's do it. Slay or Nay. I thought there were many looks. So many. It's hard to top the last episode. Of course, nothing will ever come close Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. the prom look. But I think uh, Buffy went a different direction this time. And I was so into it. Well, first off, when she came back from out of town, she's in a sort of classic Buffy ensemble with like a white tank and a very shiny miniskirt. Very classic. And she has new hair because during the break between seasons, she went off to film Scream 2 and they made her more blonde. So she's back. (laughs) New hair, looking great. And then later on in the episode, when she's going through her I didn't come here to make friends phase, she turns into this business bitch and I really love it. Like she has the white tank top with the high-waisted, drapey, like 1980s business person pants. Like, she's about to go to a board meeting on Battlestar Galactica. I thought it was perfect. Dog. (laughs) That's gonna be a nay for me. Wow. I felt like her aesthetic this episode was as if she were a prep who summers in the Hamptons. And I really missed her mod aesthetic. Even in the beginning? I like the beginning. I like the beginning, but the pants Mm -hmm. that you described, I did not care for. Mm -hmm. That, like, half sweater that she wears in the last last scene, not ideal. Yeah, that was very country club polo thing. Yeah. Wasn't really into that one. I will say two sleighs for very different reasons stick out to me for Buffy. One, that perfect little black dress. She looked great. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And two, that crochet tank top was something that I would have just burned to wear. But for the aforementioned reasons of biology and parental influence, would have been unable to. I kind of hated that crochet tank top. I think we are at odds here. It was something so out of my wheelhouse that I was like, good for you. Good for you. (laughs) I think they filmed it out of order because in one scene, Joyce was driving her to school and she was wearing that crocheted tank top. And then when she gets to school, she's wearing her business Battlestar Galactica outfit. And then later on, when she has to go get Cordelia back, she is back in the crocheted tank top. So there was a, they they did a goof. They goofed it. It's a Buffy bungle. They did a Buffy bungle. (laughs) One person who did not bungle it, well, she did bungle it a couple of times in this episode, but nailed it once, is Willow. Yes. I loved that dress. The floral dress. I loved it. The floral dress. I will say they, with the with the exception of the overalls, I feel like her outfits were a little bit more grown up because they make her so juvenile in season one. Mm-hmm. And I liked also that she was wearing like kind of softer colors. It made her look a little bit more grown up. Although she did have that lime green jacket. I must know your opinion on it. I thought it was cute. 
the male voice actually has one that's very similar. <laughs> this is why none of y'all should take fashion advice from me and the male voice specifically. The night I met him, uh, I was blackout drunk at a karaoke bar, but I did remember that he was wearing a glow-in-the-dark skeleton hoodie that he got from the little boy section of Walmart, and I knew that that's where it came from because I myself owned the same glow-in-the-dark skeleton hoodie from the little boy section of Walmart. Can I tell you that this is the first piece of information you told me about the male voice all those years ago? (laughs) Wow. Apologies, male voice. I mean, you shouldn't take fashion advice from me either. I, I don't. I, I think I have the absence of fashion right now. So, <laughs> that being said, I did. I thought Willow looked really pretty, and she looked nice. I just, I think that Willow had an improvement this episode compared to season one. I just did not like a lot of Buffy's looks, like her uncharacteristically long skirt and embroidered T-shirt. I wrote that it was uncharacteristic, but an outfit that I would have worn. Why is my life such a self-own? I was confused by that outfit, actually, because to me, it looked like it was a long purple dress that she was wearing an embroidered t-shirt over for reasons. I mean, I would have done that because there was a dress code in my school that was enforced. She would not have to do that at Sunnydale High, so I think that was a purely aesthetic choice for her. So who knows? The time has come for me to tell you something. I am truly ashamed and devastated to convey to you that uh xander looks good everyone was so horny for xander this episode (laughs) like the tension i i is it because he got a haircut i have to say man being a boy is like so easy you just have to like cut your hair yeah cut your hair wear some neutrals Just, like, don't wear a porn star shirt, cut your hair, and don't be disgusting. And there you go. Yeah, boom. Done. Like, sign me up. Sign every woman in this television show up, because that is what (laughs) just happened. Uh, How did you feel when you first watched it as a child and also during your rewatches? As a child, I was more partial to the floppy-haired Xander. (laughs) As, you know, I (laughs) I was very young. But now, as an adult, I see the uh, the benefits of a freshly shorn man so <laughs> yeah like i i love all hair xander but i i think in this episode his shirts were awful and there was one in particular in the first scene where he and willow are they're playing the uh, the movie quote game it's very cute mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. is wearing a shirt that has a dog on it that I think might be Scooby-Doo. If it's not Scooby-Doo, it looks a lot like Scooby-Doo, and it's another subtle homage to them being the Scoobies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he looked good. I was happy, and I just will obviously discuss later, but I really liked the relationship that Xander and Willow had in this. It seemed very much more equal. Yeah, I liked it too. I think in the earlier seasons, you only see her pining for him and him being dismissive of her, and you don't ever see them being friends, even though they supposedly have been friends since kindergarten. Yeah. And in this episode, you really do see them have a cute best friend dynamic yeah and just and also they're so comfortable around each other and they know each other's quirks and likes and dislikes and it was easy to see why she liked him because in the first season all we saw were the jerky elements of him and this felt like a crush is a much more natural conclusion yeah 
Especially in like the Moloch episode where she asks him to help her scan the books and he's like, I would not have fun hanging out with you doing this. I don't think that's something that season two Xander would have done. Yeah. Can we talk about Miss Jenny Callender's haircut? <laughs> I have this written down too. I <laughs> had a very negative reaction to it. Oh, interesting. Okay. I don't know what it was. I was just like very thrown off by it. My notes say, girl, fix your bangs. Maybe it's because she washed it? Question mark. Jenny Callender needs grunge hair, not this Vidal Sassoon shit. I think she was going through something. <laughs> and I think she was trying something new. And I think that you have to have a really beautiful face to have such a severe haircut. And she does. Mm -hmm. But for the rest of us plebes, uh, it's not it's not a very generous haircut. You know, it's like we were saying with Buffy how the trauma from the last season really like manifested itself in this episode. Mm -hmm. With Buffy, it was trying to distance herself from her friends. Jenny Callender just gave herself some bangs. She's working through <laughs> it. She's just like us in season one of quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Very relatable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Lastly, can we quickly touch on Cordelia? Yes. On her first outfit back from school, I have that as a sleigh. So she had a blue plaid skirt and a, a solid pale blue top. She looked great, but it was a little basic. But then, yeah, then you see the chunky barrette in her hair doing absolutely nothing to hold anything back. And I just, <laughs> an incredible, bold, perfect move by Cordelia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. The first look, she's just so confident. Like, I think that she really just makes it by being in the outfit, mm -hmm. obviously. I will say that from the highs of that, we have to suffer the lows of her bangs as well. Just everyone is really going through it with their hair. Mm -hmm. Did not love her bangs. I did not love that, like, yellow top she was wearing and that with the brown lip liner that was a different shade it was just like colors that are hard to pull off i think i just uh i think that cordelia is a sleigh as a as an entity yeah as a concept but her outfits this episode for me were mostly an a yeah i think we can wrap sleigh or nay should we do band candy I want to know your thoughts on this band. Uh, Chibomato, in the language of my spiritual people, the Italians, means <laughs> crazy food. Oh! <laughs> and what's interesting, this is a case of devastating cultural appropriation because <laughs> the members of this band are not part of the Italian community. No. <laughs> and... They are Japanese expats who lived in the United States and formed the band in New York. Chibomato is a real band. They were like oh. big in the indie scene in the mid 90s. Mm -hmm. And they're most famous for their music video for Sugar Water, which is the song that was in the episode. The music video I saw as a kid, it was directed by Michelle Gondry, who directed... Oh, yes! Yeah, like, The Science of Sleep, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and, like, a billion other music videos that are all really fun. I suggest everybody check them out. But yeah, in the music video, Chibo Motto is, like, a duo of two people, and the screen is split in half, and one of the duo is going forwards, and the other one is going backwards, and they meet in the middle of the song. Mm. It's a cool music video. But yeah, 
Chibomato, aka Crazy Food, released their first major album, Viva La Woman, which contained a lot of food-themed tracks, including Know Your Chicken, Apple, <laughs> and Birthday Cake. What is this, some like Weird Al Yankovic eat it? I guess. They seemed like very serious on the show, They though. did seem very serious. They seemed like the anti-Al. Yeah. <laughs> they were a uh, normal. <laughs> but yeah, they were like indie stars. And on their second album, they worked with like Sean Lennon and like big names. So I rescind my mean comment because what I said was that they were like a poor man's massive attack. But <laughs> I guess they were a rich man's massive attack. Yeah, massive attack is a poor man's crazy food. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was, I thought the look was a lot. I had forgotten that we, there was a time in the 90s where people, like, just spackled on just a miasma of Asian culture. <laughs> whatever, whatever they thought would fit, would fit. They are Japanese, though. Yeah, well, they were, like, they were, like, wearing bindis. Oh, and they yeah, were, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was just, like, a great mix of things. Yeah. So, you know, looked great. I loved it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. And it was the first time they they ever did anything like like plugging the band outside of the bronze. Like they had that mm-hmm. whole conversation in the hallway about how, oh my god, Chibo Mato's gonna be here. Chibo Mato can clog dance. Is this the first time on the show that they have like a legit famous band? Well, all the other bands were real bands, uh, but I think they were more local. I think this was the only band that was like on MTV and and they were also on, they were also in the video game Jet Set Radio Future, which seems like it's important. But yeah, they had a much wider audience than a lot of the earlier Sunnydale bands. I think there will be, well, I know for a fact that there will be more famous bands in the future. I'm very excited. Yeah. Okay, is this like, they had a bunch of famous bands on the OC, right? Oh yeah, they did. They had the Killers, they had Rooney, they based a whole episode around going to a Rooney concert. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on Gilmore Girls, they had the shins. And then there's like this one random episode where a bunch of different folk come in to be the new troubadour. So they had like the Sonic Youth, <laughs> and they had Yola Tango, which was, you know, it felt very cool to me watching it as a teen. It, it is cool. There's like a, a a surprising amount of crossover between Gilmore Girls and Buffy. And you'll see some of that this season, I believe. <gasps> I'm excited. The composer for season one, Walter Murphy, famous for A Fifth of Beethoven, is out. (laughs) We have a new composer now. No! Christoph Beck is in. If you Google image search him, you will find he looks as though Seth Rogen and Jemaine Clement were fused into one man. (laughs) Like a a small Andre the Giant. Aw, like an Andre the Person. (laughs) the normal sized man <laughs> his other works he he went on to be like a very very successful sound person he he made it to the big time with bring it on and he did the hangover trilogy the muppets frozen uh he is currently scoring wandavision mm. most importantly the iconic Garfield and Garfield colon a tale of two kitties. <laughs> Not the same Garfield that had David Cross. What? Yeah, I remember like reading <laughs> an article and he was like, all these like comedy purists got mad at me for being in Garfield, but it paid for my house. <laughs> yeah, I would do 
probably multiple <laughs> Garfield movies to buy a house. Yeah. Yeah. I would eat so much lasagna if I had to, to get a house. I would just curse every Monday to get a house. <laughs> and he he actually won an Emmy for Outstanding Music in a Series for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but not this episode. Oh, you know... That is cool. I will miss Uncle Beethoven disco style, but this guy's cool. <laughs> yeah, this guy's cool. He composed a little ditty for the end of this episode called Smashing the Bones, which <laughs> I would like to incorporate into my normal everyday speech. Mm-hmm. Ask me how I'm doing. I don't know, man, just smashing the bones. Do you think smashing the bones has a violent element or a sexual element? A little bit of both. 2021, baby. (laughs) Chaotic. Just truly chaotic. (laughs) I can just think of you weight training for the race wars while listening to your (laughs) Italian-Japanese band. Is it cute? Okay, who do you have for is it cute this episode? Colin, most definitely. Okay. I feel like he's the main baddie. I don't, I don't want to, I don't think it's fair to lump in Buffy's bad mood as, as, as the baddie. She, she was, she was a victim. Trauma, maybe. Trauma may be a, uh, a bad guy. Trauma may be a bad guy. Let's do that. Let's do Colin and Trauma. Okay. All right. So we know how we feel about Colin physically. We don't need to go down this road. (laughs) I thought it was kind of cute though in his mock turtleneck. I thought it was funny. (laughs) I thought it was kind of funny. I was giving you an out. (laughs) I thought it was kind of funny that he was like this little boy in his little mock turtleneck, like trying to like manage this, manage this failing store because, you know, storefronts are going, it's all online now, but, but damn it, if management's not going to try. You know what? That is such a good point. Like clinging (laughs) desperately to a failed business model is such a C-level thing to do. He learned so well. Yeah. And all the underlings beneath him telling him like, bro, this isn't working. Like this is not going to work. And he's like, no, no, dig. See how that worked out for you? Maybe you should listen to your people. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Who wants to fight? Who wants to (laughs) smash some bones? (laughs) I thought Colin was cute. Personality. He just, he doesn't really evince much of one. No, he doesn't. The most personality he showed was at the end when he was like, I hate that girl. I thought it was cute. That was cute. (laughs) Are you a Colin convert? (sighs) I think that Colin has gone on a redemption tour in my heart. Wow. Yeah, I don't know where this is coming from. (laughs) I think it's just because I miss the master. Yeah. I mean, they're they're trying to bring him back. They're trying to rebrand him, reintroduce him to society. Truly. So I can't hate anyone who wants to reunite us with our original C-suite baddie. Yeah, I just, uh, like... The parallels between the bad guys in this 90s supernatural show and late-stage capitalism is astounding. (laughs) Oh boy, we live in hell! (laughs) We live in hell mouth. (laughs) And so I guess the other villain, Trauma, I mean, even when she's mean, she's cute. Yeah, but Miss Calendar's bangs are not cute. I feel like Trauma (laughs) can manifest in many different ways. (laughs) True, true, true. Unequivocally not cute personality. Yeah. I did not, did not like that. I did not care for Mean Buffy. No, did did not care for uh, 
lasting emotional devastation. Would prefer not to. Apparently dying and coming back to life and then being sent to LA is not exactly healing. I I mean, how embarrassing for LA. (laughs) If only she was sent to Beverly Hills. That's where I want to be. Oh man, you're such a, what what is it, bone smasher? Crasher? (laughs) What what is the thing you are? Smashing the bones. Smashing the bones, there we go. And now, a word from our sponsor. If you're looking for Sunnydale's nightlife, not to be confused with the many options for night afterlife, there's only one place for you. The Bronze. Located in the bad part of town, about half a block from the good part of town, you will know it by the crowd of disaffected white people aged roughly 12 to 45, loitering in and around what was probably a murder scene literally just a few days ago. The Bronze is legally required by the health department to have live music every night, since the vibrations are the only thing preventing a complete takeover by teeming swarms of roaches. This month's lineup is quite literally to die for. Sprung Monkey, Superfine, Dolphin Rash, Kevin Grisham and the Rural Jurors, Long Beach Dub Porn Stars, Silver Shirt Pickups, Sour Weasel, and I heard Chibo Mottos playing tonight, so come on down to the Bronze. It's literally your only option. All right, let's do it. So we start. We have Xander and Willow, who are walking back from the 24-hour ice cream shop that was established in the first episode. Let me just set the stage. Imagine that you're Willow, okay? You have one move for trying to seduce a man, and that is convince him to go to the ice cream parlor. We see this happen in season one, where Buffy tells her to seize the day, and she and that vamp go to the 24-hour ice cream parlor that Sunnydale apparently has, or at least that's what he says he's going to do, and then he tries to kill her. Next. Xander is possessed by a hyena spirit, and you try to de-escalate the situation and maybe touch a little butt at the ice cream parlor. Now, it's finally paid off. They get ice cream. They have some banter. Xander puts ice cream on her face and tries to kiss it off. It's all coming up Willow. And then we learn the lesson that everyone learns in this episode. Being horny for Xander only leads to death. To misery, to chaos. <laughs> yeah. But I just, honestly, good for Willow. Her ice cream move finally paid off. Yeah. She even was getting some traction putting it on her nose, which I, it's one of the lesser sexy parts of the face, but she went for it. <laughs> and you had to rank the sexy parts of the face, baby. <laughs> uh, one, lips, obviously. Two, eyes because they're the wind of the soul three ears because god gave you two so you can listen twice as much as you talk but he did give you 10 fingers to poke things four chin because <laughs> it finishes off the face five nose and say one chin because obviously you want to finish and there ended my list begin and chin because you know why chin because chins can sometimes look like butts <laughs> True. Chins. The butts of the face. Exactly. Exactly. People get chin implants. Hey girl, let me see that chin. Yeah, make that chin clap. (laughs) That got me. 
Oh, man. Uh, fans, what is the sexiest part of the face? I want to know what other people think. Yeah, tell us. Anyway, so then Buffy shows up. Just, I mean, like, it's great that she kills the vampire, but also just let them French. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, it was exciting to see her be back. And the children are very nonchalant about running into a vampire, as they are wont to do. But pretty much off the bat, you can figure out that something is amiss because she's being kind of cold and withholding and being weird about connecting with Giles. You can just sense something's off. Yeah. That that moment, though, where she stakes the vamp and then she looks at the camera and goes, hey guys, miss me? I feel like that is the true beginning of something great and beautiful. Not only because Buffy delivers it well, but also because you can tell the show finally got more budget because <laughs> the vampire deaths in this episode are far beyond what they were in the previous episode. You have people exploding into dust. You have people's eyeballs turning into flames. Like, they have dust money this season. (laughs) You make a good point. Mm -hmm. You make a good point. The next scene that we have is they're back in school, and we have that little great aside with Cordelia. Uh, Her parents didn't let her go to the beach, but suffering makes her stronger, but she's just suffered so much. And then... We have the scene between Giles and Principal Snyder, which I I thought was really funny. And like now I see his now I see his utility. Like mm-hmm. Snyder's over the topness is very funny. Yeah, just the true pure menace and evil he brings to such silly grievances is yeah. perfectly executed. I think. Yeah, I think he's so well done. And I also think it's interesting in this scene. <laughs> He is not afraid to say that he hates children. Yeah. He's not afraid to go there. We should all learn from him. Yeah. He feels drawn to the school because someone needs to keep an eye on them. He feels like he's doing good work, like a prison warden. Yeah, and he's trying to conscript Giles into his worldview, but Giles is not interested. No, Giles is horned up, just like everybody else in this episode. Everyone has just (laughs) been, like, languishing alone all summer, and they're just, like, back, and they're amped. Yeah, they're vaccinated, they can leave their homes. They're ready to smash the bones. (laughs) Yeah, I love Jenny and Giles five ever. Uh, I died when they were when she was like I went to Burning Man because sure you did Jenny I just how old is she supposed to be in this episode because me in my early 30s I think Burning Man would kill me yeah I think it's not your chronological age but it's how old you feel in your heart oh okay okay so me in my early 60s it would kill me (laughs) so they have that little exchange and it's just Again, I keep repeating it. Willow and Xander have a very cute dynamic in this app. Oh, and they had that bet about how long it would take Giles to want to hit the books. Yes. Natural friendship. Uh, Buffy has a very intense Rocky-like training montage that shows she yes. she means business. Yes. And the stunt double's wig is just so distracting in this montage. Yeah, I literally said that it's very clear when they switch from Sarah Michelle Gellar to a stunt double. They spent all their budget on dust. They could not afford a wig. (laughs) We got dust. We got flames. End of list. (laughs) But more importantly (laughs) than than the budgetary concerns behind the scenes for the story, Colin is back, baby. Your fave. Your your best boy, Colin. My wunderkind Colin. This little innovator. He's back. 
his original company dissolved. He created a new startup in the sewer incubator. He's got a team of ragtag devotees. Do you think they're getting paid in equity? They're getting paid in literal blood, sweat, and tears. (laughs) They put their life savings into this. Yeah. Do you know how much blood I've put into this company? Is that a thing people say? Yes. Yeah. And if it's not, they should say it. Do you know how much blood I put in there? I put blood in that. Do you know how many bones I've crushed (laughs) to be in this company? Do you know how many of my bones this company has smashed? (laughs) (laughs) The bone crusher. Isn't that like a, isn't that like a thing? Like a, like a, like a punisher? Isn't that like a, like like a comic book? I don't know. In Real Housewives of Atlanta, they called Sheree the bone carrier. Like the bone collector, like a movie. Yeah. I feel there was also like a comic book called Bone. There's the lovely bones. And of course, Bones. Bones! (laughs) Shout out to my fellow boners. Should I watch Bones? I've never watched it. Is it good? Look, we're gonna be in our homes for a long time. I think after we finish Angel, we'll start recapping Bones. Yeah, just let's just smash those bones. (laughs) And we already have a podcast title for it. (laughs) Okay, so after training, they're having a, a nice, pleasant interaction in the cafeteria. Buffy and Xander and Willow are all laughing, having a great time. Giles comes up and... Then it turns evil, and he says, I killed you once, I can do it again, and just, like, fucking clocks her right in the face as revenge, presumably, for what happened in the last episode when (laughs) she knocked him out with one punch. And Willow and Xander are, you know, just going about their business while Giles is hitting Buffy, and, and, and so in this dream, we do see a few flashes of our C-sweet baddie, the master. We do. Did he seem any different to you? He didn't seem as joyous. That's true. He really did it. And do you know why? Because he's dead. Well, A, he's dead. And B, that was not live, joyful Mark Metcalf playing the master. Who was it? It was David Boreanaz. No! Yes. David Boreanaz in master drag. And that's why he was so sad. Is he sad in Bones? Why didn't they get the original actor back? Well, I I don't know. Maybe he was only on contract through one season and Angel was just like there. That dust money really ate up any other, <laughs> right. any other reserves. 98% of the budget is just for dust. <laughs> 1% for flames. 1% everything else. Speaking of David, guess who's back? David. <laughs> just lurking watching her sleep he's he's very handsome he is very handsome if you woke up and he was lurking over your bed what would your reaction be immediate terror immediate (laughs) terror i think my body could not handle the extreme emotions i would feel in like three seconds okay but what if you woke up and he was like shh it's okay i'm just here for business everyone is trying to kill you. If he came to my bedroom when I was trying to sleep and told me I'm here for business, I would have said, sir, capitalism has warped your brain to think you always have to be working. You have to decolonize. You have to decolonize? Yeah, that's exactly what I've said. I would have said, you need to unlearn all of the damage capitalism has done to you and your expectations about working. Take a break. Okay, but what if his business hours are the night hours? I understand shift workers, Melissa. I'm not <laughs> denigrating shift workers. <laughs> he could he could email me. He could beeper me. Page me. But but here it's fine. In in Sunnydale, it's fine. 
window lurking is appropriate. Uh, yes, if if he did this in today's day and age, not ideal. But, you know, it was a different time. And, you know, I initially was like, wow, how did he enter her house? He's a vampire. But then I remember that he invited her in. The show has levels. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's like he's a character who is a vampire. <laughs> Yes, so he's he's in her bedroom trying to convince her to just work smarter and harder, and she is clearly not thrilled. And that's when, again, you get further reinforcement that she is just not doing well. Yeah, although I do think that is a reasonable reaction to what has happened. Yes, yes. But I think uh, at the end, when he's like, I miss you, and then he creeps out of the window, and she goes, I miss you too, but he's already gone. It's such mm. a teenager thing to be Mm -hmm. so fussy and expect someone to just hang around and take it and then be like oh it's fine i miss you too i was just being a goof just being a 136 year old vampire oh i was talking about when buffy did it i was actually giving angel a pass they're both working through some stuff We're all traumatized. Truly. We're all right there with him. I mean, I wish that our universe's villain was as adorable as the master. And now Colin, apparently. Sweet Colin. (laughs) Sweet, gentle Colin. Sweet, gentle Colin, making his hourly employees work so hard. (laughs) Dig in dirt that burns their hands. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The next scene is the very sad scene that her, where her mom is driving her. And, you know, the, the background Tori Amos adjacent song is just really reinforcing the fact that something is off. Yeah. And I think it is further corroborated with the scene with Cordelia and Buffy because Buffy is never unnecessarily mean. She's like quippy and she can be snarky and she can give it back, but she's not like, we wouldn't really root for her if she was like cruel, you know? Yeah. So that's when you are like, okay. Yeah. And I think in this episode, they they really do a good job of fleshing out the parents, too, because in the last season, we see Joyce as sort of just not getting it. Yeah, kind of clueless. Kind of clueless, yeah. And in this episode, they make it clear that her parents do know that something is happening. They just don't know how to approach it. And that little wrinkle is nice to see. Okay, so we learn that Colin is not creating a new startup. He's actually just rebranding the master. A very Mr. Manager move. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the bronze. We see oh boy. Chibomato, the world famous Chibomato. <laughs> and like, I remember watching this as a kid and being like, wow, Chibomato must be great. And then seeing it and being like, this is not for me. <laughs> But now, I think now, like, as an adult, I'm kind of into Chibomato. <laughs> Nature is healing. Nature is healing. I, I, I like them, but I think that this scene between Buffy and Xander, it just, it, 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 it made me feel very unhappy. Go on. Please expand. My visceral responses were the following. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. This just made me feel icky. This scene is... Very long. It's so... Please make it stop. So long. I've gone numb. I forgot how long it went. Like, this twerk heard round the world. <laughs> it just goes on forever. It was just so... It was so unnecessarily long. Like, we got it, man. The bit has been communicated. The bones have been smashed. 
let's move on. <laughs> yeah, and it was also, again, normal style Buffy would never be this cruel to Willow. She's being cruel to everyone in everyone. In one fell twerk. She decimates <laughs> <laughs> She decimates Angel, Xander, and Willow to to think one butt can hold so much power. It's like the ring. <laughs> one butt to rule them all the fellowship of the butt <laughs> yeah i just hated it i think it served a purpose but it was so long yeah the length was shocking to me <laughs> quote me out of context i don't care <laughs> but yeah so so after this just what seemed like hours we've all aged <laughs> years and buffy leaves the bronze yeah. and Cordelia is like, girl, you gotta snap out of this. And she uses the phrase, spank your inner moppet. And I have never understood what that meant. What does it mean? You know, I didn't clock that. I think I was mostly just like, man, look at these. Look look at the girls. Look at the girls. (laughs) The girls are fighting. But I loved it. (laughs) I thought it was awesome. I thought that, again, it would have been very easy to just like play Cordelia as like the character that is on the sidelines thinking this is funny or thinking this is weird. But her reaching out and showing showing firm empathy was a nice development for the character. I don't know what that means. And I'm afraid to find out. But I love the scene. I googled Moppet and it means like a small child. So maybe like stop being a baby. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I I agree with you. The way Cordelia's character develops is very interesting because, I mean, she's supposed to be a villain, but we're not initially introduced to her as a villain. She only becomes a villain later when Buffy attacks her with a stake, which is normal, like a normal response. She has the attitude towards people that you have towards animals. Like, A, is it cute? B, can it service me in some way? If yes to either of those, I will support it fully. Yes. And so, like, that's why she was always mean to Willow and Xander, but she was really never mean to Buffy. I I concur with that. I thought it was I thought it was a good scene because I think that for the character of Cordelia, who is not portrayed to do things altruistically, to take time and have this conversation with Buffy shows that, like, this has become untenable. She does do things altruistically, though. Initially, she reaches out to Buffy right away on her first day of school. Yeah, but I guess, like, to make it in such explicit terms, like, you will lose your friends. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Our favorite Muppet. (laughs) Sure. Maybe she is. (laughs) The, the next scene I have is when they're all in the library and Buffy has discovered that they dug up the master. They have a very hurtful scene where Buffy is like, this is my fight. You guys can't help me. You're bringing me down. Let me handle this and leave me alone. While this is sad, I do want to point out that Xander has two lines in this episode that are incredible. The first being... <laughs> When Willow spells out, why is she being such a (laughs) B-I-T-C-H? And Child says, I think we're a little old to be spelling things out. And Xander says, a bit cut? The delivery is perfect. Very proto-himbo. Yes, very proto-himbo. And in this scene, the himbo vibes continue when... They they write a threatening letter that says they're going to make make Cordelia a meal. And Xander, horrified, screams... They're going to cook her dinner? Bless him. Yeah. They're hitting the the tone of him much better. Yeah. 
So the deal is that the vampires have Miss Calendar and Cordelia, and they're going to try and revive the master. To do that, they need the blood of someone close to him, so Buffy assumes it's her blood. So she goes off to save the two of them, and she and Willow have a little showdown. And I know how you feel when the girls fight, so what were your thoughts? It was a stake through my heart. Mm -hmm. It was a stake, but also I was like, Buffy, get together. Your friends are not the enemy here. And I thought that it was good that Willow stood up for herself. Yeah. Unlike the mollusk fight where I was like, no, don't fight over a computer demon. This one I was like, yeah, that's fair. (laughs) To be fair, Buffy only went to fight the master because she cared so much about Willow. And so it makes sense to me that she would try to put up these walls between her and the people she cares about because they literally killed her. Yeah. That was a good scene. Later on in the episode, Buffy straight up tells Angel, you know, being stalked isn't a huge turn on for girls. (laughs) And then Angel gets mad about it. Yeah. I did laugh when she (laughs) said, oh, you don't like the term vampire. Do you prefer undead American? (laughs) He's not even American. Please put some respect on his name. (laughs) He is Irish American. Undead Irish American. (laughs) So they realize it's a trap and Buffy has been lured away from her friends and she discovers that they took Willow and Giles. And this is when we see the low of Xander as opposed to the highs from earlier in the episode. Yeah. So yeah, Xander's reaction is, if they hurt Willow, I'll kill you. And I was like, oh boy, this escalated. Mm -hmm. I did not love. Yeah, I think Xander Xander has so few opportunities to be self-righteous, especially towards these people who are so much better than him in most ways. That whenever he does get the opportunity, he takes it so far. And it's such a huge red flag. Like, not only does he threaten to kill Buffy, which he knows he couldn't do. He also is, like, really snarky to her. Like, little digs to make her feel bad before he threatens violence. Like, he says, oh, it was the vampires that you were going to handle all by yourself. Like, She knows she fucked up. There's no point in doing that. Yeah, I mean, this up is definitely, like, teens aren't great at conflict and also feelings. Yeah. Yes, this behavior is the dark side of Xander that rears its ugly head throughout the series. And it makes it very hard to remember the bitkas and the you're gonna cook her dinners of sweet Xander of earlier. Yeah. So then... Buffy does a little war crime with the vampire. Yeah, she's practicing some enhanced interrogation tactics. And you know what? She and Jack Bauer are the only heroes who love America enough to do it. Brave. And you know what? She got results. She did. And, you know, waterboarding is not that bad, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, fans. That is something that our friend's dad said to us. In seriousness, one time. Yeah. (laughs) Waterboarding really isn't that bad. Like, apropos of nothing. Apropos of literally nothing. Because what context would that be appropriate? No, dude just walked by and was like, excuse me, young ladies, waterboarding isn't that bad, and then peaced out. Excuse me. Excuse me to my son's most ethnic friends. (laughs) Cheers to us. Cheers to us. The ethnic makers. Ethnic Americans. <laughs> we are undead ethnic Americans. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. 
Yeah, so she's she's practicing she's practicing a little uh you know post nine eleven truth tactics mm-hmm. and that's it is what it is. She's performing a patriot act. <laughs> I I don't think season one Buffy would have done this, but no season two Buffy gives fewer fucks about beings who are evil. Yeah. So this was this is an interesting thing to see. Do you think they have the Geneva Code of Conventions in Hellmouth? I mean, they have the Watchers Council. That's true. And Giles seems to abide by a lot of rules. <laughs> Giles loves structure. He does, but but Buffy loves results. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so we have that scene and then we cut to little Colin. He just like really made me laugh in his in his little big boy suit, his little big boy boy outfit. Like I just thought it was so funny. This is truly shocking to me. I would never I thought you were going to be so mad that they dragged Colin along into season two. No. He just had a real Mr. Manager bring your son to work day ethos. But he was orphaned he didn't have a dad he was just wandering around the office searching searching for meaning are you my daddy (laughs) okay so they they do the thing they fix the problem buffy gets to smash the bones we're acknowledging that life is traumatic on the hellmouth and we're moving on and so there's that scene at the end where Cordelia and Miss Callender are discussing the the aftermath. And I was like, I cannot believe that one of these women is supposed to be a teacher and the other one is a student. They look the same age. And I looked it up and they are literally the same age. Incredible. Incredible. Perfect casting. Yep. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. So the gang's all friends again. Yeah. I thought uh, I thought the fight scenes were more elaborate, you're right, than last season. Mm-hmm. They upped their budget. That was cool. And the part where they have all of our our Scooby gang hanging over the bones was kind of creepy. But then, you know, she came to slay and she did. And and thereby also breaking the spell of her own trauma malaise situation. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really sweet how, you know, at the end she's telling Giles that she's how can she look at her friends again with how she's treated them. And and he says, you know, you, you behave poorly, but you have to give your friends credit that they are forgiving and it was it was very wholesome this is a new giles as well i think giles in the first season was very dismissive of their concerns and i think giles now is turning over this new leaf where he actually gives like very emotionally mature advice and i like that for him i would like this to continue uh, i think that's it i think we we ran through it yeah oh my gosh so what did you think? I think that this is a high stakes episode. If the season and the seasons beyond are like this, sign me up. Yeah, I think this is a turning point in the show. I think from here on out, it gets fucking good. And we can leave the teacher's pets and the puppet shows <laughs> of the past behind. <laughs> But we worked for it, y'all. We got to this point, and I'm excited. I'm excited to go on this journey. I'm excited to meet new characters, and yeah. High stakes. High stakes for me. Well, here we are in a brand new year with some new Buffy. How wonderful. Tell us what you think are the top five sexy facial parts. Of course. I want to know what gets your bones crushed, and what crushed bones you (laughs) would like to have in the future. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and as always, just 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 let us know how things are going. Yeah. How are you feeling? Are you drinking enough water? Or blood? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we do have we fun. We do have fun. <laughs> All right, y'all. Take it easy. Bye. Thanks for listening to another fantastic episode of Big Mistake. Be sure to check out our socials at Big Mistake Pod on Twitter and Instagram to see all of the outfits discussed in each episode. Slay your name. If you have any messages for us, or if the apocalypse comes, beep us via social media or by email at bigmistake at gmail.com. That's B-I-G-M-I-S-S-S-T-A-K-E. Review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to absolutely make our day. Catch you at the bronze.